hello and welcome to episode 124 of the 1099 for the week of December 18th, 2017. I'm your host, Josiah Renauden, and with me today is a co-host for Kind of Funny Games Daily, the COO of What's Good Games, and a host for just about every video game thing you've ever watched. Andrea <laughs> Renee, Andrea, how are you doing today? I'm great. Not everything you've ever watched, but close. Close. We, we're, <laughs> we're, we're approaching that. Also, I think I would brag about being a COO to everyone, because even if like someone doesn't know what COO stands for, it just sounds damn important. Like, it's so close <laughs> it does. to CEO that you might be able to slip it in and be like, oh my god. She's the leader of a company. <laughs> That's true. It's true. I mean, obviously, we're a small company, and uh, the other team members, of course, have very important roles as well. Um, but I kind of like manage all of the operations from a very high-level standpoint, so it's a lot of moving parts. I would never even tell anyone about the size of the company either. Like, I would be like, oh, I'm the CEO of the 1099 <laughs> podcast, even though it's only me. That would I'd probably, again, I would do that all the time. And we were talking earlier before we started recording. And I was joking about it. I just have no idea how you find the time for everything that you do because it seems like if you're not streaming or talking on a kind of funny video, you're off hosting something, some major show. Uh, like I will just randomly try to stream. Like there's Andrea. There's Andrea again. Do you have an ideal balance for work in your head? Have you ever been, or maybe even right now, are you approaching the oh man, this is too much point? Yes. So here's the thing. I like to take on a lot of things at once and then I'll have periods of time where I'm not doing anything. And that's the life of any contractor or freelancer out there. It's, you know, feast or famine, when it rains, it pours, what other kind of, you know, euphemism you want to use. Um, that's generally what happens. And particularly in the video games industry, we have specific times of year, usually centered around large trade shows or conventions where I tend to get busier and then certain times of year, like review season and things like that, where there might be more opportunities. But um, it's for me, the balance is how many hours do I plan on sleeping? And is that <laughs> enough hours in order for me to make sure I still look okay on camera and to keep my wits about me? Because... That has to be something that I figure in. There has been times recently where I've turned down extra work where I said, you know, I would just have to take either too many crazy flights or I'd have too many back-to-back -back shoots where I wouldn't be able to give my best performance. And I wouldn't want, you know, a client or anybody, a partner that I'm working with to not get, you know, my best. So certainly something, you know, people need to think about before obligating themselves to too many things. Is that five hours of sleep? Is that six hours of sleep? Do you have a number in mind, like an idea, like I need five and a half, otherwise it's just not happening? Uh, it depends on how much travel is involved, if I'm moving time zones at all. Um, generally, my minimum hours of sleep is like four. Oh, God. There's just people out there who can do that. I'm one of those. I wish I was better at this. If I don't get like six and a half, I'm just a monster when I wake <laughs> up. Like I can't do it. I know there's people out there who four is a full recharge. For me, that's like just enough that I wake up and feel awful. Oh, no. Like, I didn't say that was ideal. That's minimum. Okay. That's minimum. <laughs> okay. That's, that's, the, that's the, the, the minimum functioning yes, hours of sleep. Indeed. Do you have a favorite thing that you do of all the different hosting and games media gigs you currently have? I know that's kind of... Maybe an unfair question because you'll say like, oh, it's what's good games and kind of funny. I'll be like, what the hell? That's not <laughs> but is there something that maybe you find not just the most enjoyable, but even the most 
personally fulfilling? You know, that's a tough question. And not just because I, you know, obviously love a lot of the partners that I work with. But for me as a host, I do a lot of different types of hosting and producing. There are still many people out there that don't realize that I write and produce behind the scenes quite a bit. And that was has always been a big part of my career. And now with What's Good, I'm back into doing even more behind the scenes production. For a long part of my career, I was writing and producing and hosting, but I didn't have to manage the cameras, the editing, the live streaming tech. I mean, because generally most media companies have teams or people whose designated roles include those types of production responsibilities. But when you run your own business, you kind of got to wear all the hats. (laughs) So um, for me, Favorite things, obviously, speaking on camera. I really love doing live content like I did at the Game Awards with Facebook for our winner circle. Those live interviews are the type of thing that I live for. I love doing developer interviews. I love talking to people, just hearing about what they have to say, hearing about their role with the games they're making or the projects that they're working on, having conversations. That's my favorite kind of hosting. But I also really love working in a studio with a teleprompter, being able to do like really high production value stuff. Like for example, the content that I hosted at Yahoo Esports was really fantastic working with the Yahoo sports team who comes from professional sports and has an incredibly high caliber of talent and skill. Working with them there was a really fantastic experience as well. And then I mean, like just kicking it with the girls when we record every week. I have so much behind the scenes footage that is just ridiculous. I keep saying that once I get some time, which who knows when that's going to be, um, I'm going to like make some kind of a blooper reel because of all the stuff that they say, like when we're doing our record tests right before we, you know, do the show every week. I mean, the kinds of things that they'll say when I'm like, all right, everyone talking to your microphone so I can get your levels. You know, it's just, it's yeah. just goofy. That should be some. Patreon exclusive kind of thing. I know, right? No, that's what we're, that's what we're like, thinking. Hey, you that's what we're thinking. Craziest behind the scenes shit possible. <laughs> like that's a five dollar <laughs> tier right there. And you have done a little bit of everything, but more than anything, does what's good games feel like a more personal outlet that allows you to be yourself and be more creative compared to some hosting gigs you've had in the past? Because when you are hosting, you mentioned the teleprompter stuff. People are making sure like, all right, here's what you got to say. You got to throw it over to this person. And there's definitely an excitement in that. And especially when you do the live stuff, like you were mentioning, because anything could happen. You have to be on the entire time. Oh, and it did. And it did at the Game Awards. (laughs) (laughs) It's almost impossible to have a live event where something doesn't blow up. Yeah. Uh, But with What's Good Games, I mean, these are your friends, your podcasts, your Let's Plays, your streams. You can kind of do whatever you want. And if things go crazy during a live event, who cares? It's your thing. It adds to the fun. Is that refreshing for you? It really is. And that's why we made the Patreon After Hours stream, which is a specific here um, on our page where we get together with our, you know, some of our most dedicated fans, people who really are there to support us no matter what, who are not, you know, there just for the content, but are there because they care about us as as people and as creators. And we get to like have that, you know, personal time with them. We had do an after hour stream as well where we're all having cocktails and the idea is that, you know, conversation is going to get a little loose and we, you know, gate that behind um, a paywall because we want people who are willing to support us and help us become, you know, better creators to have that kind of intimate experience with us. Now I need to know what what did go wrong during the Game Awards, during the live stuff. 
Well, let's just say you saw Joseph Fares on stage with Jeff Keighley and how oh, unruly he was there. That definitely translated into my interview with him backstage as well. And it got so off the rails that we actually had to pull the interview down from Facebook. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was it was not good. <laughs> can you make that? I know it's not for what's good games, but can you make that behind a paywall for Patreon? Like, I would definitely want to see what happened. Uh, you know, that's a great question. I don't even know if I have access to that video anymore because I'm. I don't even know if uh, Facebook deleted it or if oh they just made God. it private. I could yeah, ask, <laughs> but I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they don't want that that out. That so. might stay behind the scenes. But <laughs> when you started, what's good? games how much has the elevator pitch the initial idea evolved since the very beginning because i know just starting this podcast i had grand ideas about like oh it's going to be all about freelancers and how to get the games media but then certain people get on your show and it changes like oh maybe people respond to this better or these types of guests for you has it changed much has actually going through the process made you realize like oh we should go more in this direction or is it mostly the same you know, that's something that we have discussed, um, kind of looking at other podcasts and formats and wanting to get some consistency. And we have a pretty consistent format right now. Our third segment in our show is always, it has, well, from the very beginning, we designated it as kind of like a grab bag off topic, kind of whatever we wanted to pay or, or excuse me, whatever we wanted to, um, speak about. And we wanted to be able to leave that flexibility for ourselves. For example, one week we did a spoiler cast on Wonder Woman. Not a video game, but something that we all wanted to see and we watched it together and we talked about it together. And sometimes, you know, we'll talk about other topics that aren't video game related. And, you know, when you're talking about kind of shifting the creative of your concept, you can't change it too often or too quickly because your audience likes that consistency, right? That's why they come back to you. They can, they feel like they're part of, you know, your kind of your crowd. If they know, Oh, at the top of the show, I'm going to hear this in the middle of the show. I'm going to hear this. And it's, it, it feels good to have that, that familiarity. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. It's, it's funny. I feel like when I was writing for different games media sites, right around the tail end, but before I moved into development, there was a lot of major sites that would only cover games. And suddenly they were like, all right, now we're going to do entertainment. And it felt jarring, like you mentioned, because it wasn't this kind of slow development and talking about it. It's suddenly like, all right, here's the Walking Dead reviews and here's these Marvel movie reviews. And I think you're right. And when you're changing your formula, it's not as much, you know, let's keep playing with it because there are those people who every single week listen to it and it becomes part of their routine if you're a giant bomb fan every single tuesday you expect the giant bomb cast and if suddenly they changed it or changed the formula be like i was not prepared for that and maybe (laughs) it's funny i was uh, i was just i did a podcast the other day talking about the people who might be your biggest most consistent fans aren't the ones who either positively or negatively comment on your videos or your podcast is the people who are silent and just really enjoy it and don't talk about it in that way and i bet it's the same in in this case where suddenly if you changed it there'd be all these people you'd never heard from before I'd be like wait a minute <laughs> i needed this every single week what happened 
Right. No, exactly. And that's what's great about working with someone like Greg Miller on Kind of Funny for Kind of Funny Games Daily that, you know, he's been podcasting for so long and he has a a great grasp on that. And I love even as a co-host with him going in and having, you know, the Roper Report and having whoever's running the boards yell a baker's dozen and his little jingle after we go into reader mail, you know, and it's just stuff like that that, um, makes it fun and makes it feel like, you know, you're part of something. No, absolutely. And you were able to probably talk to Greg Miller because he had experience with crowdfunding and Patreon still, it's still new. There's still not this perfect formula for like getting the right amount of funding and how do you expect the amount of money and what are you investing into it? When you were first starting up your Patreon, did you, how did you measure expectations for funding? Did you have a certain number in mind based what other people did? Did you have long discussions with your team about this? What was that process like? I mean, we had many, many, many discussions <laughs> about it. Um, the girls actually flew up to my house for a weekend. We dubbed it WGG Con, uh, where we kind of just had a whole weekend of brainstorming and powwowing and thinking about how do we want to get this going? And we spoke to our friends at Kind of Funny. I spoke to my friends at Easy Allies. I spoke to Danny O'Dwyer about what he does with Nailclip. You know, we talked to several other Patreon creators about kind of lessons learned from them, saying, you know, what works for you? What is your audience like? What was something you wish you had done differently, you know, at the launch of your projects? You know, because these are friends of mine, people that I've known for quite some time and have also worked with professionally in a variety of capacities. And so they were happy to share their knowledge with us and collaborate us with us where it made sense. And, you know, so we just tried to figure out what our audience would like to see from us. For us, it was never about a dollar amount. It was never about like, oh, we need to make X amount of money or we don't feel successful. We said at the very end of it all, if, if the only people contributing to what's good games was like my husband, my mom, you know, my cousins, like if it's just the people in my immediate circle that are contributing, what could we we do? What could we commit to creating on a consistent basis, knowing that we want to make content and and however that we get to it, this is what we can make. And we agreed we would always do a podcast. It probably wouldn't be as amazing sounding as it is now, which, you know, a huge thank you to my recording engineering husband for helping us, you know, get our ducks in a row from a production standpoint. But we said the podcast at the very least. And then we kind of expanded from there about, you know, do we want to make extra videos? Do we want to go to conventions? Do we want to stream? Like, what do we want this to be? Because we knew that we weren't going to just start another media site. There's just so many of those. Yeah. We don't have time to do previews and news and reviews every day. Like, that takes an army. It really does. And it's a lot of work. And there's a lot of small teams struggling out there to try to keep up with the sheer amount of coverage that is available now. And, you know, we thought about if we were only making, you know, let's say 50 bucks a month on our Patreon, mm. what could we what could we commit to doing? And the podcast was it. And now the podcast is the most popular thing that we do. You know, lessons learned from me as a video production person and that being my primary background was like there's a giant renaissance happening in podcasting right now and it's a type of media that people love consuming. And even myself, like since I've become a podcaster, I've, I've listened to a lot more podcasts than I did 
previously, not only because I know a lot of creators and I enjoy listening to their content, but because for me, it's always about checking out how are they doing their show? You know, what kinds of ways are they organizing their content? And always me trying to learn and grow from other creators. It makes you appreciate what people do in podcasting so much more after you've had your own. The creative ideas where you almost in a jealous way is like, man, how did I not think of that? I wish I would have gotten to that first kind of thing. I've had that so often and they're they're popping up all the time. And it's not like there's – it's funny. A lot of people get competitive with podcasts and I'm the opposite where it's like there just needs to be as many good ones as possible. And even if um if money wasn't like the main driver of all of this, was it kind of a unique nerve-wracking experience to press that here we go button on your Patreon and see – where that number fell. I've talked to people, developers who did Kickstarters where they have that, oh God, this feels like you're actually putting a dollar sign next to what you value me as, which is really not the truth, but it, it can almost feel like that where if the end there was only $25, it'd be like, oh God, really? That's it? Like, was there kind of a nerve wracking moment where you're like, I just don't know what this is going to be? Of course there was. I mean, there was an expectation as well. You know, it's tough because we never want to compare ourselves to our competition in the space, but it's inevitable that somebody is going to, right? Like, I mean, you look at all of the other major video game podcasts that are out there and how successful they are and even even other video game Patreons that are making all kinds of content. We knew that we were immediately going to be compared and that's tough because we didn't have a unified crew going into this, right? Like we weren't like my friends at Easy Allies who were all working on the same team, making the same content together, and then collectively moved from one outlet to their own project. We didn't have that, you know, mass migration of one audience from one platform to the next. Same with, you know, the guys at IGN who started kind of funny, or same with Danny going from GameSpot into starting No Clip. You know, like we, did not have the benefit of coming from a single platform because we were bringing our individual audiences to one collective place and trying to drive that traffic from several sources instead of one is just going to be harder, like plain and simple. And we knew that going in. And so we knew like, hey, we're not going to like hit these crazy numbers out the gate. It's going to be a slow burn. Anybody who's ever started any kind of media platform knows that you don't just grow into hundreds of thousands of followers overnight. You know, like for many creators, it takes several years. And that's the challenging part about working in this business because there is so much competition in the space. You either have to have a really unique idea that you're executing perfectly or you have to have a lot of passion or both, ideally. <laughs> you yeah, know, like no, really. So, in this industry, you definitely have to have a lot of passion to keep going and do this full time. Yeah, no, you know what? I get the question all the time. So I'm on panels at PAX and other events and people write into the show. And one of the most common questions I get is, you know, how do you, how do you break in? How do you start something? And I was like, if you really want to work in video games professionally and like make a full time living in video games, first and foremost, you gotta, you gotta want it every single day. You gotta wake up in the morning and go, I can't wait to get started and I can't wait to work my ass off today. Yeah. And if you're like, ah, I like it, but I don't want to, I don't, I can't be bothered doing this thing over here or, oh, well, if I take on that responsibility, it means I'm gonna have to stay late and edit that thing. Like, if you make any excuses at all, then you won't make it, hands down. Just, I'm just telling you right now, like, <laughs> you're gonna have to work really hard for a really, really long time. And then you're gonna keep having to work hard. It never gets easier. 
Yeah, and you're going to have to do a little bit of everything at this point. I think that's the major thing that's changed over the last few years. When I was first getting into this, it was, I'm going to focus on writing. I'm going to learn how to write reviews. I'm going to learn how to do news. I'm going to learn how to be a, you know, quote unquote journalist. But now, I mean, what's good games? A good example of this. You're doing streams. You're doing Let's Plays. You're doing podcasts. You kind of need to be a little bit of a renaissance person in order, especially if you want a full-time job at IGN or GameSpot. You can't really just be a writer. You have to do a little bit of everything. That's true. I mean, there are a few select positions where you can, you know, just have one primary set of responsibilities, but those are so few and far between now with the way that so many of these smaller media companies have been shuttered and closed down over the last couple of years because of the way that monetization in the space has changed. It's either small outlets, you know, doing their own thing, or it's these giant media machines, you know, and it's it's a tough landscape it really is and speaking of how monetization has changed that was thank you for that transition by the way hey, you're uh, how welcome much has <laughs> the recent patreon model changes kind of morphed what's going on with you guys like ha- have you noticed any sort of are people leaving randomly because there's what was it like if you pay a dollar it actually costs the user like a dollar something else can you kind of expound on that as someone who's a creator on the platform Sure. So we're still in the process of having that conversation with our supporters, with our patrons about how they feel about it. What we have noticed, which almost every other creator across the board has noticed, is we have lost patrons. Like that's a byproduct. That's an instant byproduct. Mm -hmm. Um, We lost, you know, a decent amount. Like, you know, it's, it's not something that is catastrophic. It's not like we lost like half of our patrons or anything like that, but a noticeable number. But what we noticed was that many of our patrons came out in support of this new change saying we would rather you get more of our our donation to your channel than for you to pay the fees up front. So there's still a lot of confusion about what this about what this is. I'll just explain it super quickly. Essentially, before this financial change, creators like us and creators like, you know, kind of funny or easy allies or whoever, were paying credit card processing fees for your pledge. So you pay $10, you pay $10 flat previously. And then we got, you know, anywhere from you know, $9 to like $9 and like 25, maybe up to like $9 and like 45 cents roughly from that pledge because we would have to pay credit card processing fees and bank fees plus Patreon's platform fee on the back end. And so, you know, you tally that up over, over all your patrons. It's not an insignificant amount of money that we were paying, but like we just saw it as the cost of doing business on the platform. And without really having much dialogue with us at all, in fact, we found out about it from an email. <laughs> like oh, it geez. wasn't like it wasn't like a hey, we're thinking of doing this. It's going to go into place at this point in time. This is how you can potentially warn your patrons this is happening. It was like, nope, we did this thing. Um, you should probably tell your patrons because we're going to email them in two days. And we were all like, wait, what? <laughs> um, so now instead of, you know, instead of us paying those credit card processing and bank fees, our patrons have to pay those fees. So if you were paying, I, I just actually was, I just was writing an email to a fan who was like, could you please explain to me what would happen? So, 
so I'll tell you what I told him. I said, for example, if you had a $10 pledge, we will now get a payout of $9.50, but you're going to be charged $10.64 instead of a $10 flat fee. So Patreon's taking the same amount, 5%, as they always have, but they're passing those processing fees onto patrons instead of creators. That's the big difference. It's strange that this wasn't maybe a longer dialogue with people who are, you know, do have big platforms on there. It sounds like like what you mentioned before, it kind of was just an email went out and suddenly this was a thing. I know I was just checking Twitter one day and suddenly I saw people talking about it and I'm surprised they would make, it's not the biggest change in the world, but I, I do know that like if someone sees suddenly their $10 is actually 1060, that might just be enough where they're like, uh, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Well, we noticed that we had several patrons actually turn up their pledges to counteract the fees because they wanted to make sure that we were getting because they didn't realize how many fees we were paying on the back end. And so once we, you know, wanted to make sure we were being transparent with our, uh, you know, the people who are funding our channel about exactly how much we're getting from their pledge, we had many people actually increase their pledge to offset those fees, which was incredibly generous and humbling for us to think that, you know, people would pay more after learning about this. And we're incredibly grateful for all of our patrons. Um, And the ones that we noticed left were universally in the $1 tier. Man, I'm interested to see how it all shakes out because I had Drew Scanlon on this podcast a, a few months back talking about cloth map and i mean he left giant bomb to do that and that's his primary source of income and there's some people with this is a secondary thing or something they're kind of doing for fun but it might also pay their phone bill or their car bill but when you are a danny o'dwyer or a drew scanlon and this is your income even small changes like that can morph how you produce content and how you how you pay your bills yeah it- I mean, indeed, it's something that like from the language in the communication we got from Patreon certainly indicated they talked to somebody about it. Um, I don't know who. I don't know why you wouldn't message all creators about something like this. Uh, But, you know, they they made the decision. Obviously, there are creators like Kind of Funny who are publicly standing against this decision saying, you know, we want to be able to have the choice to take on that that cost ourselves instead of passing it on to our our fans and our patrons um but i don't know what's going to happen if they're going to change it or i don't know it's still in flux it's still new the good news i guess is we have a couple weeks to work it out since patreon bills at the end of the month so the next billing cycle won't happen until january 1st so we have a little bit of time to figure out you know like how how are we going to tackle this issue but yeah. So from, from our perspective, you know, it, we want our patrons. And if you're listening, you're a patron of what's good games, you know, please go to our page and make a comment on the community post that we have there. We want to hear from as many people as possible, about what they feel about how they feel about this, you know, before we make any decisions about what to do. Yeah. Hopefully it's continued dialogue. And they're also, like you mentioned, maybe people can have a choice. Creators can have a choice how they want that breakdown to be. Do they want to be able to pay that? Do they want the users to pay for that and stuff like that? And you mentioned before the changing landscape of games media where, you know, some of the smaller sites that do traditional coverage have been shuttered. Then there's new ones that are coming up. From what you've seen so far, do you think we'll continue in this trend of smaller groups and sites leaning more on not just crowdfunding, but 
personality-driven games coverage in general. You look at Giant Bomb, you look at Kind of Funny, you look at what you guys are doing, you even look at Waypoint, which does have the Vice funding, but a lot of that is when you go to Waypoint, you know who Austin Walker is, you know who Patrick Klepek is, you know who Danica is. It's much more about the people covering the games rather than just the game news or reviews or the score attached to a game. So instead of having major outlets to do traditional games coverage, do you think we might see actually continued growth of these smaller groups that do it personality based? Part of me wants to say yes, but I've been working in this business long enough to know that while individuals will continue to rise, the large media corporations will continue to offset that by not emphasizing individual personalities. So the problem with some of these major media companies um, that run these giant sites is that they always, all right, let me not overreach, (laughs) many times frequently, (laughs) not necessarily always, but close to always, they prioritize the brand over individual creators, Mm -hmm. over individual personalities, because personalities come and go. Well, I mean, let's just use my friend Greg Miller as an example, (laughs) as a hypothetical example. Hypothetical. He worked at IGN under, you know, um, Fox previously, now Ziff Davis, um, for several years, built a name for himself through a combination of their wide-reaching audience and also his fantastic on-camera presence and amazing work ethic, right? Like, he didn't just become popular with fans because he had reach, right? He became popular because he's fucking awesome, right? Mm -hmm. So the problem is, is that a lot of these brands like to take credit for creating popularity for specific creators to say like, oh, well, you know, he only has, you know, over a million followers because we built him into that brand. And without the brand, he never would have become popular. And it's like, well, uh, you know, sure. I mean, I guess there's an argument to be made there. But reality says that he's really talented. And, you know, he's a passionate creator. And he would have found success, I'm convinced, even if he had not worked for IGN, right? So, But the brand will never admit that. And so that's the problem is that a lot of these big brands don't necessarily want to push forward individual creators because then what happens if they leave and go start their own thing? Like we've seen with, with Greg and with Danny and with Drew, you know, like, so they've left these giant brands to go do their own thing and brought a large portion of their audience with them. And that's what brands are afraid of. They're afraid of investing money in personalities and then having those personalities take that investment and go bring it somewhere else. From the brand perspective, is there any real logical way to stop that from happening? Because people want more live shows, more streams, more podcasts. And in those moments, that's where personality comes out. That's where you see people's faces. That's where you get to know people. And if we continue to see sites like Patreon and I think it's drip on the, there was something else that it it was an awful name, but it was another sort of crowdfunding style. Yeah. That's Kickstarter's thing, right? What an awful name drip. Yeah, I think it is. So if we keep seeing stuff like that, you would think that these people will continue to leave. I mean, it seems like it's an impossible thing to avoid. I don't think IGN, hypothetically, IGN would be like, all right, let's show this person less because we don't want them to leave because you need to show that person in the first place to get them there. Yeah, I know. It's it's kind of a, a little bit of a conundrum. The yeah. frustrating part is that 
you know, people like me who used to be in creative lead, leadership roles would try to argue with my superiors that it's good to foster these personalities and these relationships and these, you know, people who are kind of larger than life, you know, points for the brand because it's good for the brand. It's good for them and it's good for the brand. It's good for both people. So what, I don't understand why we don't want it. We don't want that. Sure. Is there a risk that they're going to leave? Yeah. But look at the amazing work we can do together and we can both, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats kind of mentality. Like we all get, you know, we all get good together. Like what's wrong with that? Yeah. And you're not going to have that person there forever. Like if you get no, five years not. of this incredible talent who worked really hard for you, then moves on. What's wrong with that? No, ex exactly. I mean, we are getting more people in leadership roles, you know, as more younger people are moving up the chains in some of these organizations and kind of bringing fresh perspectives to a lot of old media companies. The idea that, you know, this is the idea of the influencer or, you know, the the streamer or personality, however you want to define these people those roles are becoming increasingly more important in the media landscape. And I, I mean, you can just look, take a look at cable news to see that, right? And how those networks, those shows are defined by their anchors, right? Like, and that's what, you know, new media needs to be doing as well. And like, I don't understand why it's a problem. So I think, you know, it's changing. It's getting there. It's getting better for sure. But there's still certainly a lot of pushback, at least in my personal experience. I was joking earlier about how you've done a little bit of everything in this industry. But do you still have the holy shit, I can't believe I'm here moments? I mean, you just host the Nintendo World Championships. And even as someone who's hosted a lot of cool things, just hearing that out loud, is that is that crazy? Just being there? Do you ever have like the man, how did I get here moments? Absolutely. All the time. I'm so incredibly grateful to be doing what I'm doing. I love my job. Working with Nintendo was a dream job. They are a company that I've loved since I was a little girl and have been part of my gaming life as long as I've been playing video games. And being able to be on stage and work with them and work behind the scenes with so many members of the Treehouse and really see that Every single person I worked with, whether they had a small role or a big role, were all like equally passionate about what they do. That was incredibly inspiring and very humbling. Do you still have starstruck moments where you see someone where you're like, I can't believe I'm interviewing this person or I'm talking to that person? Yes, all the time. I mean, as a professional, I keep it together. But every <laughs> once in a while, I'll see people and I'll fangirl out a little bit. I remember when I got to interview Jennifer Hale on Mass Effect 3 at PAX so many years ago. And when I had set up the appointment with PR, I was like, okay, just don't, just don't fangirl out. Just be, just ask the questions, just go in prepared. And she's just such a lovely person. It was so nice to chat with her. She was so kind and so, so wonderful to talk to. But I mean, there's moments like that for sure that, you know, I have to really kind of bottle that emotion and that fangirl. Like, I want to be like, can we take a selfie? But I don't because I want to, I want to keep it pro. <laughs> it's, it's so difficult, especially in games where so many of us are inherently massive fans since we were super young. So when suddenly you're talking to someone who maybe was a voice of a series you love or the creative mind, like a Tim Schafer, where you're like, oh my God, 
you had this impact on me because of this game you made or i've talked to lauren landing on here a few times and every time i talk to him like i i'm gonna try to keep it together but at any moment i might crumble and start just being a complete (laughs) fan instead of someone who's trying to talk to you on this even level it's it's mainly because it's games where you just have these moments of, uh, again, I talked to Adam Sessler and he turned his Skype camera on during this podcast that I mentioned before. And I'm suddenly looking at Adam Sessler in his house. I'm like, this is weird. This is crazy. Yeah. How did I get here? Like it just happens all the time. <laughs> yeah. He's, um, he and I hang out quite a bit in the Bay. He's great. He's really fun to talk to. I mean, it's, it's just one of those things where, you know, you kind of have to balance, you know, the fandom with getting your job done, you know, and making sure that you're making sure the content is the best that it can be and you're not sacrificing the interview just to have fun with somebody in a conversation, which can be hard to do sometimes. Oh, yeah, but, 1,000%. But, yeah, I've gotten to talk to quite a few really amazing people over the course of my career. And even back when I was doing red carpets, when I was still doing entertainment news, um, that's always really fun to meet those people, too. People you see, like, you know, on movie screens or on your television, and you get to meet them in real life, and you're like, oh, you're really great. Like, I had the opportunity to interview the cast of Game of Thrones when I was working Comic-Con for Xbox a couple of years ago. And all of those people were just so lovely to talk to. And as people that clearly go on a lot of interviews, it would be very easy for them to be, you know, exhausted and bored of the same questions over and over again. And they were just all so delightful. It's super heartening when those people aren't assholes, when suddenly you realize, okay, thank God, these people who I enjoy creatively are also good humans. Uh, I've mostly run into (laughs) that so far, where most people are extremely nice. And we talked earlier about how what you do at What's Good Games isn't really, it's, it's not about traditional journalism. That wasn't the route you were going with reviews and news. That's not what you wanted to do. But have you ever struggled just in conversations where you're doing Let's Plays or streams or podcasts? To talk about games, honestly, that came from companies who you are really close to or maybe even worked for before. You mentioned you worked for Xbox for a bit. You did the Nintendo World Championships. And since I stopped reviewing games, I now work for uh, Ten Gentlemen, which did Here They Lie. And uh, my boss did Spec Ops The Line. I've been at Sony Santa Monica a lot. And I don't think it would change the way... I review games, but there's definitely this, I have the softer side for maybe the creative process because now I know so much about it. Have you ever run into that? Not a bias, but maybe just difficulty judging games that you are close to those studios? Oh, absolutely. And I'm widely called the corporate shill and the corporate apologist on on Games Daily and on some of my previous works because I know so many of these creators, these people that work at these companies that build these games that put their blood, sweat, and tears into their projects. And so I see their side. You know, I can't just universally say like, oh, like screw that studio or fuck that publisher. They don't get it because I'm like, no, but like I know the people that work there. Like they aren't trying to screw you over. I I promise you, you know, it's, it's tough because how do you have that conversation where you're trying to recognize both sides of the issue without people pigeonholing you as defending a corporation? You know, it's tough, particularly when I worked at GameStop and was hosting GameStop TV, people were very quick to say that I was overlooking their shady business practices and they're a terrible company and it's because they paid me to say that they're a good company. And I'm like, no, like 
I've had nothing but positive experiences with them. Like the people I work with, they're believing gaming culture and believe um, in, you know, access to better games and having people be able to have a community and create a culture. You know, like it's like you don't have to believe me. That's fine. You can pretend that I'm some kind of paid corporate shill if that makes you feel better about yourself. But like that's just not the way it is, you know, and it's tough. It's a tough conversation to have because like, they want you to demonize things. And that's just not who I am as a person. And that's not the kind of show that we make both at kind of funny and at what's good. You know, like for us, we really wanted to focus on having real conversations, but we never wanted to make the conversations hypercritical. That's just not what we do. I'm of the school of thought that I want to talk about things I'm passionate about, things I'm excited about, things that I really believe in and that I think are great and want to share with the world. I don't need to get on a soapbox and say everything that's going wrong with what's what's in the world or what's in the industry of video games. There are plenty of people out there who have taken that role and who enjoy being critical. And I'm going to let them have that. It's not for me. And because of that, you know, some people want to say that I'm, you know, been in collusion and that I've been paid to talk good about companies and games when in reality they're bad. And I'm like, you know, that's just not the case. So like, I wish, I mean, give me money. Let's, let's talk about these under these shady deals been doing this I, for free for years. You could have gotten you know? paid for this. <laughs> I mean, I could use some more money in my pocket, but like, it's a joke, folks, ladies and gentlemen. It's a joke. Jokes. Well, it's an inherently cynical uh, industry. So, like, I, there's, like you mentioned before, it, it's refreshing to have the positive people talking about things they're passionate about because there's already so many people on Twitter, on YouTube, on podcasts complaining about a lot of things and even in the cases like battlefront ea and loot boxes yes there might be some people who just need to see those numbers go up up and up but there's so many people on those teams who do believe in the actual product and giving people what they want and we have this kind of general feeling that all games companies are out to get us they're out to squeeze every dollar out there they don't care if they ship broken games they don't care if they can update things later but i mean both of us having done this for so long, you know that's not the case. And then the, the more you talk to the creators and the publishers, you realize like, nah, I don't think there's this evil mindset to to get it to get the gamers out there to you know get them for everything they're worth. I do think in general, everyone's trying to do the right thing in most cases. At least I would hope so. No, that's one hundred percent true, and that's the thing that's hard to have a conversation about, you know, because heaven forbid you say that on a show, you know, then the internet commenters descend on you. Um, but I mean, that's really that's really the truth of it, you know. Like, the vast majority of people that I've ever come across in this business are in it because they love it, are in it because they're passionate, because you can't be in this business if you're not. There's just too much competition, the work is too grueling, and you would just like lose interest. And that's the thing that is so confusing to me about how I have to continually explain that concept that, you know, being and working in the video games business is because you love it. And because, you know, you want to be here and not just because you're taking home a paycheck. There are plenty of other ways to make money in this world. 
yeah. way better ways and turn back to them. Quite frankly, yes. Like, <laughs> you could make you, far more money doing many, many other things. If you are getting into games because you want to get rich, you might want to reconsider. It's not exactly the best spot for it. Uh, and you mentioned explaining this stuff to people online. Last major thing I want to talk about, you've been in in games media long enough that you've probably grown that thick skin where you're used to people just inherently being assholes or just arguing online for no reason. Um, but now that you've started What's Good Games, do you feel less of that dismissive or even angry response to women in games covering video games? And I hate to always, every time I have a woman on here, be like, what's the temperature of women in games? Do people <laughs> like respect what they say? I don't want to do that. But you're a group of four experienced, talented, funny women who do great work. Do, do you, at this point, see less of the asshole attitude to you on Twitter, emails, or comment sections? Or is it just about the same at this point? It really depends where we're engaging with people. In our forums and in the comments and forums, for the most part, on Kind of Funny, um, the, co- the community is great. You know, they understand that we've been working in the business a long time, that of course we play games, that we don't have our authenticity questioned as much because we're active in those communities. Mm-hmm. But for example, we just partnered with eBay to do a gift guide and that went out on eBay's channel, not our channel. And just a week ago, I got a comment being like, oh, guys, she said that she plays multiplayer with her friends. Ha ha. She clearly is not a gamer. And I just had this big like, (sighs) (laughs) just like this sigh of like, okay, well, Sure. Um, that's fine, I guess. You know, it's, it's just, it's so tired. I'm just like so exhausted by this idea that women don't play games. And it's tough because I understand that people can only speak to their experience. When I was a guest expert on a show for Vice called The Business of Life, they did an episode on the business of video games and they asked me to be part of their panel. And one of the questions that came from the audience was, you know, because I was on the panel with Kate Edwards, who was formerly the director for the IGDA. And um, she's not any longer, but at the time she was. And, you know, so he sees two women on this panel about video games. And I was like, yeah, but, you know, like, do you guys actually play games? Because, you know, like, I didn't have any, I didn't know any girls that played games growing up. And that's a twofold question because the first thing I said to him was, you know, I'm sorry that you've never met any women that play games because there's quite a few of them out there, but that's your experience. You know, like you grow up, you grew up without ever meeting a female that played video games, but of course we play games. We wouldn't be up here talking about video games without knowing about video games. That would be pretty difficult. That'd be like me asking you about quantum physics and you being able to answer questions. And then after you answered your questions, me going, yeah, but do you actually know about quantum physics? I probably wouldn't have that, you know, that discrepancy, you know, for any other field. And it's something that I was hoping to speak about um, at the Game Awards and didn't get the opportunity to. Just this idea of the constant discrediting of women who talk about games and the constant questioning of, yeah, but do you actually play games? And it's that attitude that has made it really tough for women out there who do play games to find communities, which was a big motivator for us to start What's Good. Not because we were specifically trying to promote a message of women in games, but because we wanted 
women out there listening to know, hey, you're not alone. There are many women who enjoy video games that you can talk to about your experience playing games. And after living my life as a woman who plays games and knowing what I've been through, I know that every single other woman out there who's ever played a video game has been asked that one singular question. But do you actually play games? And it's it's gross. Don't ask that. Don't ask that question anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I was about to say is hopefully I don't think you need to spend time trying to convince assholes online that women play games, but hopefully the more places like What's Good that come out that show people like, yeah, by the way, we do play video games and there's more sites out there like Polygon and Waypoint that promote strong female voices where people aren't in a situation like, oh, when I grew up, I never saw a woman play a video game. Like, no, well, now you can because it's all over the internet and it's a real thing and the fact that that's still a question is a bummer and hopefully the more awesome stuff like what you're doing happens the less people ask stupid questions like that uh last last thing do you have a event or media site or something that you've wanted to host let's say if you're making a 2018 career goal is there still something out there that you really 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 want to do in terms of hosting that you haven't done yet that you think is something you could accomplish the next two three four years well i joke with jeff every time we work together on the game awards that i'm going to take his job from him someday (laughs) (laughs) i'm like someday jeff you're going to get tired of hosting you're just going to want to be the executive producer behind the scenes but he loves hosting as much as i do so i don't think that's actually going to happen but um i would love to to work the show with him um obviously i've worked the show the last couple of years you know with him and the partners at facebook and that's been that's been great but if we go outside the scope of video games um the show like my my dream job for hosting is to be on the 10 o'clock hour with Kathy Lee and Hoda on the Today Show. Like, oh, I've been like, it's like they drink wine, they talk about stupid fashion stuff, they do <laughs> weird science experiments. I'm like, this is like the dream hosting job for me someday. <laughs> to just like talk about the fluffiest fluff news um, and just have fun doing lifestyle pieces and talking to celebrities and doing like, you know, ambush makeovers. That's what I would love to do someday. I think it would be so much fun. Oh my God. That's the goal then. Start a Twitter campaign. We get all the people who follow you. Get Andrew and Renee to the Today Show. Yeah. yeah it'll totally happen. 2018. We're already going to make this happen. Uh, Andrew, where can people find you and What's Good Games on social media? And what are you working on, I guess, for this either the end of this year, early next year that you can talk about? Well, we had an amazing partnership with Facebook, their new watch program called Lights Off. It was a show that aired at Halloween. We are working on a another series with them, which is going to launch in early 2018. Um, I can't give any more details about it yet, but that is coming soon. Um, the best place to find me and all of the different projects I'm working on is Twitter. That's just at Andrea Renee. And that's where you can find links to my work and what I'm up to and who I'm working with. And if you're interested in supporting what we do at What's Good, the best place to learn about that is patreon.com slash what's good games. You can find all of our social channels there or you can go to what's good games.com. We have a fantastic community and we would love to have you be part of it. All right, perfect. Andrea, thanks so much for doing this. As soon as I saw What's Good Games come out, I was like, this is the perfect idea. All of these people are great. I've followed all these people <laughs> for a you. long time. So I'm happy it's been successful. I'm happy to see that your podcast is always right around the top of iTunes in the game section. Uh, I voted for you for Trending Gamer. I feel like you were robbed next year. Oh, when you come back and get it. 
Um, and I can't wait to see what you and everyone over there does in 2018. Well, me too. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been a great convo. And um, I wish you a very happy holiday. Oh, perfect. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Hopefully, tune back in for the next episode of the 1099.